there was a marmalade competition in Cumbria in Penrith County, which all of those things are great. Cumbria, Penrith County, marmalade. Welcome to We Can't Print This. It's a podcast that tells you the story you don't know behind the story you do. My name is Eden Don. And my name is Fiona McCann. And every week we interview a writer of some kind about the stories behind their stories. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Sharing is caring. Or you can donate to us for as little as $5 a month on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash we can't print this. And yeah, you'll get bonus stuff. So don't worry about that. Yeah, that's right. And this week we interview the very charming Kalu Henry, who is a writer, cook, and frequent contributor to the New York Times, maybe you've heard of it, and Food and Wine, also heard of that. She's worked in food for more than 15 years, and she's written two really great household staples for me, books, Back Pocket Pasta, and Kalu Cook's Easy Fancy Food. I love the phrase easy fancy, and that's what I want people to call me. We're going to put that on your gravestone. Please do. Please do. Um, so with Kalu, we did get into a topic about adventuring for a story, which I love because I feel like you and I have gone on many different adventures for stories. And I know- My gosh, we have. You said <laughs> you had one to tell me that I might be terrified of. So I'm dying to know what this adventure story is. Get ready, Eden, because okay. it's about the time for writing excitement for the Irish Times. I joined the circus. Okay. Not only did I join the circus, however. No, no, you didn't. I did. Uh, Listeners, Eden's favorite, favorite thing in the whole world are clowns, basically. And I became a clown for journalism. Look, I don't want to be a basic bitch of those people who don't like clowns, but I genuinely don't like clowns because I read it too young as a child and I lived in the country and it terrified me. So, no, I don't like them, but I do love you and I I'm having a hard time with the combination of you as a clown. It was quite the it was quite the ride. I mean, I went to cover this very storied uh, circus family who had been in the business for six generations, 135 years as a circus, and amazing. And they, I was writing about them as a family and their storied circus, but also as part of the assignment, they were like, "Well, why don't you?" be a part of our troupe for a day. And obviously they weren't going to put me on the trapeze. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would have been amazing if they did. Not that a clown is a low-hanging fruit, because shout out to all clowns who are obviously skilled in their arts. But um, I think that they decided it would be the least likely to cause injury to me. So I became a clown for a day. And to be clear, I'm uh, there is the art of clowning in theater, which is a different thing. I'm not as scared of them. It's just the it's just the white face. I had it all. They the, fully the red made nose, me the thing that looks like they might murder you in a drain. And the fun part of it for me, speaking of murdering in a drain, no. <laughs> the fun part of it for me, I think, was I, I kind of arrived to this very bare field and they had like set up a couple of trailers for like dressing rooms and stuff. And mm-hmm. I went in, met all the generations. That part's cool and really interesting. This idea of like almost a family trade that is hundred percent and there were all carny. family members that like had sort of left for a minute and then always come back. And there was the grandma and the grandson and the great grandkids. Like it was fully in the family. And they got me all dressed up, red nosed the whole lot, eating hairspray, big shoes, those baggy pants. Like I was fully transformed. And when I came out of the trailer, not only was I transformed, but this blank field had suddenly become a magic land. They had set up this beautiful big top. There were sparkly lights everywhere. 
And that to me was incredible. And I walked out of the dressing room towards the tent and this little girl looked at me and was like, there's a clown. And I... And she screamed in terror and ran. (laughs) I hope I didn't traumatize her, but I immediately looked behind me because I was like, oh, there must be a clown. And then I realized, oh, it's me, which was kind of exciting. And then, yeah, I got to perform amazingly. Obviously, brought the house down. Yes, of course. But they gave me a couple of little sketches and it was so exhilarating in that moment. And you're in this very magical environment and making people laugh like the kids all thought I was hilarious because they were primed to think so I had a red nose on. Yeah, and they probably hadn't read it. So they (laughs) They were in there. They hadn't read it yet. So it was a very incredibly fun adventure. And no sad animals in that circus. No sad animals. Okay, great. At least not when I was there. Not very strong feeling that elephants and and tigers do not belong in a circus. Correct. Um, So no, just but clowns do belong in a circus. But humans treat them any way you want. (laughs) (laughs) That's my take. Amazing. Tell Um, us about your adventure, Eden. I don't feel like mine is nearly as good, although I will say one I had in mind that led to a not story, because yours obviously I'm sure turned into a lovely article, which we should link on the website. Oh, it did. But mine was I was researching a travel piece and went to go see about this demolition derby, like way out in the country. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to spend time. Why not? And I pulled up to the field and they literally just had like a giant booth set up that said, we hate Democrat women. Whoa. (laughs) Recall the governor. Specific. And there was like a bunch of dudes sitting there with their arms crossed as I walked up, like, you want to sign our petition? And I was just like, ah, it is me. It is me that you despise. It is me, your nemesis. It is me, the liberal woman. She is a feminist. Um, So I did not feel great about walking in. And there's so much noise and cars crashing. Like, literally, it's just stuff smashing into each other. So um, I did not end up including it in a travel piece. I just was like, you know what? Because uh, a lot of things about travel writing is that you want to make sure people feel comfortable. Would anybody feel comfortable coming to this place? You're not recommending it for one person. You're recommending it for the masses. And in general, I was like, hmm, no. Not so much. Not Pass. so much recommending Democrat women go to a place where they're demolishing things. And literally have signs up that they hate you. Which yeah. is fascinating, though. I have already... It's always wild to me that that's the form of entertainment, dem- demolition derby. I just can't even imagine what it's what it's like it was weird vibes weird vibes but i might not be welcome myself i i'm somebody who tries to not like yuck other people's yum so if like you like smashing shit and that's fun for you for example or if you like clowns (laughs) sure you go for it but uh not my thing and I don't need to go back. Not only was it not your thing, but you were not their thing. So it was mutually not <laughs> it a thing. It was mutually. We should have just, sh- sh- like, we should have just uh, reached out, had a handshake and been like, and I'll be on my way. And that's it. I love the places that writing sends you, whether or not they're included or not. And so with that, we should probably get on to hearing from Get Kalu. on to it. Kalu, stop. One thing has changed uh, from the last time we attempted this, which is that you have a different uh, background. And I think that might be because you are situated somewhere different. Where are you right now? I am in our house in Nova Scotia in my little writing nook. I can't be the only person who only knows Nova Scotia for Anne of Green Gables, right? Am I? <laughs> well, technically... Sorry, Eden. She's from <gasps> Prince Edward Island, oh my which is the province right over. So it's very close. 
Okay. It's like okay. 30 minute drive from our house to get to the bridge. So you're not wrong. It's just what level, different... what level of shame did I just bring upon my household? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty intense. I don't, I, uh, you're going to have one. to talk to the uh, Lucy <laughs> Montgomery Association about that. I think it's only one or two level shame because it's not like you thought she was American. So let's start with that's the 10. You, that's uh, true. She, yeah. She's, she was Canadian. That is true. And you're very and near Nova Scotia, and that's what I know it for. And in my mind, it brings such a delightful association where I think of you drinking tumblers full of, you know, black. What is it? Blackberry cordial and. <gasps> Isn't that stuff dangerous because it can make you a little bit tipsy, if I recall? A little tipsy. Well, I did name the house after an Anne Green Gables um, book, actually. So, what? yeah. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> so your your shame level is zero. It's oh. Yeah. Look at that. We came full circle. Okay. Back up. Tell us how this beautiful, in my mind, just palatial estate, it's basically the Great Gatsby house, came to be. This space right here was sort of carved out for me last summer by a mutual writer friend who was visiting because the house was like in such chaos that she was like, you need a room of one's own. And oh, so, good yeah, friend. So she, I love yeah, her. very good friend. And she, so this, where I am right now is right at the top of the stairs and like right outside our bedroom. She like told me to get out of the way for like half an hour, an hour. And she cleared it out and hung up stuff on the wall and move this table here. And cause she was like, it's really important for you. So, um, so I have been using the space in that way, which has been really nice. You have your own nook. I do think a writer's space is really important, even if just to kind of psychologically remind yourself that this is the place I come to write. Is it yes. working for you? Yeah. It's just like, I know, and I'll write here, but I'll also like I'll be able to come here if I need to take a call or I'm like, this is like, there's no door, but it's like an imaginary wall of Kalu space is behind that wall. You know what I mean? But the house, it is a crazy story. Yes. I want to hear how you got the house that got the nook that gets the book. <laughs> Chad went to school in Halifax and brought me to the South Shore of Nova Scotia like five, six years ago. Um, oh, so you're and- partnered with a Canadian. I am. I am. Okay. I am partner. That's how you you fell into the Canuck lifestyle. I did. He's from Ontario, (laughs) but he went to school in Halifax, uh, in Nova Scotia. But yes, I married a Canuck, so I have I got lucky in that in that regard. Um, But anyway, we were looking on the South Shore and just like really fell in love with it. It's very Maine like, but like they let dogs on the beach, just like a better vibe, you know. Um, And. We, were, we had just bought our house on Hudson and we were like, there's no way, we have no money. We can't afford to buy a house. Like this is like a pipe dream. Anyway, the pandemic happened. We ended up going to Nova Scotia on the South shore uh, for a good part of the fall of 2020. Cause I could get in cause of Chad and I needed to get out because the States was <laughs> because, um, because let's not even talk about that. That's a whole ooh, other conversation. That's a offline podcast conversation. Yeah. <laughs> for, that's for exclusive. Those of us who- Exclusive content. We're not married to Canadians and had to stay here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, yeah. So we came back from that trip and just continued to look online and realized that ever getting anything on the South Shore was never going to happen for us because much like what happened in the States, a lot of people from Vancouver were buying property sight unseen in Nova Scotia on the South Shore because it was so inexpensive. 
and the real estate markets went crazy in some of these parts of the country. Anyway, Sight unseen. That's crazy, though. It is. It is crazy. So flash forward to the next summer, we were like, oh, we'll look further south. Next thing you're buying in Texas. No. Right. <laughs> I so we're so my That's my, very far south. <laughs> my stepmother, who was born and raised in New York City, probably doesn't even know where Nova Scotia is on a map, says to me, Are you in chance still looking for her house? And I said, Yeah, why? She's like, Well, Hope, who's her best friend's husband Bob. Um Bob and Hope is from Nova Bob and Hope. Bob's from Nova Scotia and his uncle is looking to sell this farmhouse on the North Shore off market. And I was like, what? So they sent through the house and Chad and I completely lost our minds because it is an Anna Green Gables looking house. <gasps> it's yes. magical. And we were like, there's no way, like, there's just no way. Like, and we'd been looking at so many, we were prepared to buy like a shack. It didn't matter. And um, anyway, Jonathan was asking for the house, the exact amount of money that we had had put aside. That's bananas. Stop it. It was also, so wild. A word to listeners, this literally never happens. So don't think this is ever going to happen to you, ever. Also, I do think maybe we tweak this story a little bit to say, mm -hmm. because my brain keeps hearing <laughs> it, that you bought the house from Bob Hope. Yeah. It was Bob, Bob Hope. I bought the house there. from Bob's your uncle. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea that Bob Hope uh, yeah, Bob. called you guys up and was like, hey guys, I made a lot of money in my time in, in yeah. Hollywood and I'm ready to pass it forward. So To my grandnephew, Chad, who is related right. to Bob Hope, as we know. Of, of course. Um, so Bob, yeah, what a generous guy Bob Hope was, right? you know, really. That's really, amazing though. Yeah. It is. It's crazy. So we had to buy the house with everything in it. It's been a journey. We are the, only the third owners of this home and it was built in 1866 and it hadn't been wow. lived in in about 10 years. So there was a lot of wow. stuff here. A lot, a what lot, a lot wild of wild thing. You just walk into somebody else's life. A hundred percent. So sorting and going through like, what are we keeping? What are we not keeping? Just like, you know, we're stewards of this home. You know, I really want to do right by this house because it's such a beautiful and special spot. But yeah, and the trees out front are poplar trees. So I named the house the Windy Poplars, which was an Anna Green Gables book. Of course you And did. then we lost a bunch of them at the end of last summer. And oh, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you lost them? You placed some trees. That seems like kind of a big oversight. So we put a little bell on them next time. So, mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> So we got here last summer and we were all excited. And then it really thing, we had a great summer, except sadly, our 20 year old dog, we had to say goodbye to, which was um, oh, super sad, Josh. But then we were hit by a historical hurricane here, which was insanity. So we, it, they haven't seen a storm like this and I don't even know how long. And we had to sleep downstairs in the living room. And Chad at like four in the morning was like, She's going down. She's going down. She's going down. And I was like, oh my God, thank God it, they, it fell away from the house. Then another one fell away from the house. So, oh. so he's watching these poplars. Yeah. It was like, yeah, like you couldn't really, because the window it was so crazy, but he was like peering out the window and he was like, she's going, she's going down. She's going down. She's going down. It was, it was terrifying. Was it a possibility it would go into your house? And luckily the winds were working in our favor. Um, 
you know, but you never know with a storm, it can change no, course no, and all yeah. this stuff, you know? In a but, second, um, yeah. But I said it and I said a prayer to, I'm not a prayerful person, but I did say a prayer to the trees and the breeze that they would protect us. And I think that they actually did protect us because they fell away from the house and they did their job. Yeah. That was their Wait. final act of love to the home. How many books do you have now, Kalu? Forgive me. I, I, have, knew, I knew this, but I forgot it. No, that's fine. I have uh, two and I'm working on my third right now. Okay. So you're working on your third. Yeah. And you split your time between Hudson and yeah. your and Wendy Poplar's. Yeah. I've been in a bit of a flurry the last couple of weeks. I'm just like jamming out recipes. So that feels good. I just got to get this book done. Apparently by the end of February. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Tell us about this next book then. That is Nothing like a deadline. Being, being created yeah. in the Windy Poplars without I do feel very creative here because I'm working within constraints and I feel like I actually work better that way sometimes. Um, like I don't, I just wrote a newsletter about this this week, but like I found a whole cabinet full of like old jars but not like not like cute jars like old pickle jars which was actually my most used tool of the summer a pickle jar an old pickle jar i used it for love it shaking martinis i used it to make aioli and i used it to roll out pie crust so i was like this is amazing that this one thing was able to come in so handy that i was like you know what i mean so but the one thing that unites everything there is not the pickle jar it's kalu henry i just want to point out oh, because no. <laughs> I, I think it's the combo because let's not take away power from the pickle as a really pro pickle person <laughs> i hear you i just this all just made me want to immediately get myself to windy poplars for right. you Mart want a martini i want that martini <laughs> so bad and i'll take the pie also while i'm there and yeah. some aioli maybe some aioli if you yes. i'm in a yeah. So it's just interesting here because the produce in the Hudson Valley is so crazy and so abundant and incredible. This is a rural and farming community, but they don't have the same robustness in terms of like variety and stuff. So, which actually I think is a good thing because I am writing recipes for regular, just people that don't necessarily have access to all this crazy stuff. So um, I try to make the most of what I have and I kind of, I'm, I'm enjoying it. As somebody who's obviously never written a cookbook, or some might argue, or ever cooked, um, what is, <laughs> how do you, how do you go about, like, writing a cookbook? Do, how do you conceive of what it is? I'm so curious about it, too, because we've not had any cookbook writers on, and it is such a specific type of skill that yeah. feels like it has to be very loose and free, because you have to be so creative and thankful, but then also... Don't screw this up. It's a teaspoon of salt, <laughs> not a tablespoon of salt, you know? So it's like yeah. regimented and freewheeling at the same time. Yeah. It, writing recipes, it's, it's a real balance between wanting to make sure that you give people the tools to get it done well, but also sort of have like backing it up with some encouragement that they're not going to mess it up, you know, and giving them a sense of ownership over it. So you, you try, or at least I try in my recipe, like, oh, if, if it looks like this, like, that's okay. It's supposed to, you know, trying to give people like visual cues and, and things like that, but then also inspire them to be like, but if you don't have that, then who cares? Use, use this instead. So it's like a, it's a funny balance. That's one of my favorite things I think about your approach is that you always make me think that it's okay to just throw something else in and you'll give me options so that I'm not suddenly putting, because I, 
you know, I think often when people are so deeply immersed in the world of chefery, they're like, yeah. well, who would not have such a thing in right. their pantry? I can't even think right, right. of an obscure enough example. Um, saffron threads. Who doesn't have an abundance of saffron threads, like, ready to go? Yeah, like, no. uh, me. me. I don't. Yeah. Because I don't really, really either. expensive as well. Very expensive. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So I do really appreciate that. But also I think it seems to me, at least, that my favorite cookbook writers also bring a voice. Those little recipe intros serve so much more than just like, here's the dish you're about to make and here's how it works. There's much more to it. Yeah. I mean, especially with this last book that I wrote, I was able to incorporate a handful of essays, which was my favorite part of the process, honestly, um, just because it gave me some, a chance to, to, to use, to use the writing as opposed to just like writing the recipe and, and, and the head note is also a really important piece. And for me, like these recipes across the board and with my first book, second book, and it's going to be the same in the third. I really love to bring in friends and stories and where we eat and why we ate it. And you know, what, why the recipe came about in the first place, because a lot of it is around a table with people that you love or are hanging out with or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, cause I've been at that table with you and it's the best yeah, place. Yes, you have. <laughs> it's the best <laughs> and, place. Um, sorry, go on. Either. And best meals come from, always being shared. You know what I yes. mean? Like, yeah, I agree. I mean, we were entertaining. We had people here up until last week for a month straight, All, a different cast of characters, but it was, you know, I, I'm very much like you guys figure out what you want to do for breakfast. I'm not making lunch because I just, I'm working and, but dinner, everyone comes together and which is, and it's so fun. What do you want to make or what are you thinking? And it does. And it, it starts a conversation. Except I do happen to know that not only are you not doing breakfast and lunch, but you're not doing dessert. Am I right, Kalu? You're correct. Although I have a confession. I have baked twice this summer. And this, is, this is you can't hear this, listeners, but my jaw just dropped. Sorry. Are you an anti-dessertist? Do I yeah. not, do I not know this? Yeah, my book was supposed to be called "Please Bring Dessert" because I don't bake, and I had friends contribute desserts for the dessert chapter of the book. Um, so I'm I've always been a very like I don't do that, but it's like based on like childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> everything I mean, is based on childhood. Everything trauma. we yeah. do in life is Every, based on yeah. childhood trauma. Everything. Um, but I finally have mastered my own galetto. Check you in, Kalua. I hardly know you. I know. I'll give what you do you put in it? Flour, butter, sugar, salt, ice water. That's it. Wait, I thought, oh, I'm thinking of just a galette that has a filling. Oh, yeah. So, well, then, yeah, whatever whatever fruit you want to put in there. So I, I just okay, so with, yeah. you're not loyal to a certain... No, uh, for, for the filling, I usually do, uh, a pint of whatever fruit, some citrus zest and juice, little cornstarch, sugar, salt. Which I love when, um, cookbook writers, <laughs> they just like, just these few things and then you throw them together somehow. And then I throw them together and I'm like, well, that's interesting. I made a lump of lead for, uh, dinner. Although I actually confess, I, I am an okay baker. I confess. Oh, You're a great you, baker. She's a great baker. Like what do you like to bake? What are your favorites? My favorite thing to bake is actually bread because oh. I really 
have strong feelings about bread, very strong. Maybe this is childhood trauma related. Who can say? I have very strong feelings about bread and I have very strong feelings about not liking the bread that's always available to me. And I figured the only way to do to get around that was to make my own. But I'll also I, make desserts and come bring you. Make, you make great cakes. You make great cakes, which cakes are just bread with lipstick on, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Kalu, you well, have to use that in your book. Sorry, Edith. There you go. You take uh, you'll get coded. <laughs> so your first book, I feel like all of your books have had a really strong sort of uniting concept to them up until now. Like there was Back mm -hmm. Pocket Pasta, which I yep. have used so many times because it's really like, hey, here's a meal you can kind of pull together from what's in your pantry and it's going to be delicious. And it made me feel really seen as a cook as well because <laughs> I was like, "Amazing! yes, I can do this and I can achieve things. I know you're probably not supposed to whip out Back pocket pasta for your dinner parties, but I do sometimes. No, you absolutely are. Absolutely. Of course you can. Yeah. Serve wine and you can do anything. Exactly. Well, that's my yeah. motto. That's my motto. You can put that in your book too, Clue. Um, <laughs> lick stick on bread and serve wine and you can do anything. Um, you but, should have been here last night. <laughs> second, so, uh, and then the second book was a fancy food, right? Yeah. Easy fancy Easy. food. Easy fancy food. So yes. give me an example of an easy fancy food recipe. I want to know. I haven't seen it. So it's really more, I think, like of a concept that beautiful food doesn't need to be fussy. You know, mm -hmm. like you can make a trout dip and put it on a plate. But if you make the trout dip and you put it on a plate with some beautifully sliced radishes and some saltines piled up and what, I don't know, heirloom tomatoes or whatever and, and present it you've done something nice for yourself, but you've also done something really nice for whoever you're going to be enjoying the trout dip with. So I think that it's essentially approachable, elevated, easy recipes. I have to say that's my favorite food is easy, fancy food. That's why I wanted to. It, 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 it's because you're the, an easy, fancy person. That <laughs> is, I'm an easy, fancy person, but it's I like... You know, I love a thing when you go to a restaurant and they're like, we just have really great butter lettuce with fresh tarragon in, in a, like a nice vinaigrette. I'm like, amazing. That's all I want to eat. You know what Same. I mean? It's like three ingredients and it feels life changing because it's just good olive oil and good fresh salt and it feels yes. fancy. I had corn ribs the other day when they cut up the corn oh, into the... That's like a, a trend right now happening. I know. They are easier to eat, and I did. I was like, "Look at this fancy ass corn!" Fancy ass, <laughs> fancy -ass corn. corn. Did you have? Did you have that out at a restaurant? I did. Yeah, and it was delicious, and it had really good hot focaccia that had like just come out of the oven, and all of it together. I was like, nothing here has more than three ingredients. I was in Europe this past spring, and we were at a pub in the middle of nowhere in the Lake District, two hours south of Scotland, mm -hmm. and. It was a Michelin pub, nothing to speak of in terms of decor or anything. It was some of the best food I've had. And all four of us at the table were like, we do not want foam. We do not want tweezers. And, oh it, and, the, and, and no foam, no tweezers. And, and it was amazing. No Wait, foam, no tweezers. Now was this no foam, no tweezers. Was this the same trip, Kalu, where you were also at the marmalade competition? It is very nice segue See? there. You're good at this. I, She's good at it. I have been intrigued about this marmalade situation. Can we yes. start with telling me marmalade is jam adjacent 
but chunkier. Is that the best way to say it? No, it, it's nope. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, fail. You, I already had it's, two good ideas. Get out of here now. Yeah, now. sorry, easy, no, fancy, Eden. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Um, it is a, it is like a jam, but it has to have citrus and peels, peels on, peels on. So, and there's a lot of talk about, uh, or preference rather, if you like a thick peel or a thin peel, people have strong opinions about it. There was a marmalade competition in Cumbria in Penrith County, which all actually, of those things are great. Cumbria, Penrith County, marmalade. All so, in. but quick throwback here, when we were pulling up the floors, there was a letter addressed to this house from Penrith. What? In, like the turn of the century. Yeah. I mean, can I just, can I grab, it's you literally can, yeah. right there. Who's Penrith? Fill in no, the no. ignorant American over here. It's a place. Pen, Pen, Penrith is the place where the marmalade competition was. And we oh, found- it's like the county. Yeah. So when we were pulling up the floors, Ooh. I found this thing and it says, Mr. and Mrs. Luther Brownell, who are the first owners of the house, Northport, Cumberland County, Nova Scotia, Canada. And then it says over here from J.R. Brogdon, Penrith. J.R. Brogdon, Penrith. Yep. Wait, you, can and, you just hold that up again? Because that is the oldest letter I may have ever seen in my life. It looks like that. Wow. Fa- it looks almost fake old, like he spilt a bunch yeah. of coffee on it and crinkled yeah. it up. <laughs> It you got it the- at Disneyland in the <laughs> back corner of a ride. <laughs> when we pulled this up, Penrith and the Marmalade Festival were not even like on my radar. It was only after we got back that I found this again. And I was like, Chad, you're not going to believe this. Like there was a Penrith connection to this house. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Wow. That I have never had a Penrith connection to anything ever in my life before. And now you've brought it into conversation in so many different ways. So, so many ways. Anyway, so the marmalade competition took place in that area of the world. And so there are thousands of entries um, Marmalade judges. What do you call marmalade mar- makers? Marmalade. Um, Marmaduers, That's where the comic got its name. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get? Are you going there to just eat all of the marmalades? Are you going with a group of foodies to be like, let so let's learn about marmalade? So our friends uh, told us about the competition because they were entered into the competition. Oh. They, they do it every year. They, he's English. She's an American. And you decided to write about it, right? As a writer. I ha- I did. I haven't done that yet. But that's the <laughs> plan. Are, that's my plan. Mm-hmm. For anyone that's listening, I promise it's coming. Mm-hmm. Paint the picture <laughs> for me. Are we to the level of like Oktoberfest kind of joy about a thing? Like are people Absolutely. In- oh, wow. Okay, now I'm picturing like an orange later hosen sort of vibe. Oh, no. There's a lot of orange. People wearing orange. Uh people were there from japan from australia um oh my god do people dress up as paddington a lot i feel like there's a strong paddington 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 bears uh the the writer's daughter was there and and there is a stuffed paddington that runs around oh my god this is kind of a and it takes place at an estate So adorable fun. and you absolutely adorable so you go around because somebody who grew up with marmalade more than jam like my dad had marmalade every morning on his toast there was yep it was bigger than jam i didn't know that there were places that didn't have marmalade every day 
there's a, I presume a panel of judges, but they're tasting all of these. What are they looking for in the best marmalade? Ooh, good so cue. the, the, the feedback that I gleaned from some of the, cause they, you get handwritten feed, they handwrite feedback on every submission. Oh my God. I love and Penrith. God, I love Penrith. I know. I know. Every and so, submission. Wow. Yeah. With their and fountain pens, probably. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, is to cook the peel longer. That oh. is the most f- frequent feedback that I saw, but people say they get that every year. Um, anyway, I want to talk about your Substack for a hot second because yeah. I do think it's kind of interesting. Like we as writers, the publishing world has changed so much, right? And you're still doing the traditional thing. You're writing books, cookbooks, but you're incorporating mm-hmm. essays into your cookbooks. I know you're also writing some short stories. I want to hear about that, but also, you know, and you've been published all over, obviously, and in the New York Times very prominently. Mm-hmm. But, but we all, you know, we're all trying to pivot a little bit in this sort of changing media landscape. And one thing that a lot of writers I know have done have started Substacks. And that's something that you do really successfully, right? Yes, it's been really, really, I love Substack. I don't mean to sound goofy, but like, it's a great platform. It's really positive. People are constantly everyone's just kind of like a rising tide raises all ships. Is that the right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, usually ship. they say boats, but I feel like boats. ships works too. A rising tide lifts all boats. It's yeah, all, all boats. floating things. Unlike the, right. Under like the other, you know, the Instagrams of the world, which can be <laughs> problematic um, to say. Demoralizing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this community, this community, I sound like a, a weird spokesperson, but this platform is very, uh, kind and very supportive That's and I really love nice. it. How long yeah. have you been doing your Substack? Uh, a year, uh, 13 months. And I switched. Yeah. I, I started it last July. And tell us what it's, uh, what's the concept and what it's it called. Sure. So it's, it's very much, uh, obviously food driven. I do a column uh, called note, which means of note in French, which is just like three things that are like, you should have on your radar, like a podcast, a book, um, you know, a, uh, some sort of food item. And then I do a column called dinner again, which is what I'm actually eating for dinner. And then it's really just like, I just roasted a chicken at 425 for this amount of minutes. And then I'll link out to like other recipes and then just to give people inspiration. And also just to be real about like what I'm, you know, people have some sort of like idea that I'm eating, like, crazy elaborate things every night. And it's like, actually, what did I even make for dinner last night? Oh, I made soup, you know, and, and just giving people ideas and then I'll include a recipe and then paid subscribers get another recipe. I'm, I'm working on a lot of house content, honestly, like house updates and like talking about the Wendy Poplars just because there's so much going on and it resonates with people. How have you found that community? Cause I think there are a lot of, I mean, Substack's been around for a while, but it feels like there is a moment right now where people are increasingly, writers are kind of trying to figure that out. And so for people maybe new to getting on it, what advice would you have for them or, you know, things that maybe you wish you knew already 13 months ago? I would say that consistency is key. Like if you say you're going to be delivering a newsletter every, in my instance, twice a month, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays you get that newsletter out Wednesdays and sorry, Wednesdays and Sundays. Like you have to maintain, maintain that because then you grow like an audience that is, you know, is engaged and wants to know and is just more sort of, I don't know, tuned in. Um, 
And I think just biting off more than you can chew is not something you want to get into where it's like, oh, I'm going to be writing every week and it's going to be, you know, and also I think being fairly specific, having these columns, which I started probably, I don't know, six or seven months ago has been really helpful for me. just organizational wise, just as like, okay, I know I got to do three things that are on my radar. What I made for dinner this past week, which I love writing about anyway, just because I think it's fun. And then is it a new recipe? Sometimes is it a recipe for my book that I'm giving people access to that don't necessarily have the book? Um, it's helped me a lot just in terms of structure. That's awesome. I do love the name dinner again. When you say that as oh sort God, of a category, I'm like, it, I feel that too. It's become, it, Chad and I will wake up in the morning. He'll be like, I'm like, what do you want for dinner? He'll be like, dinner again? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yep, happens every day. Every day. Every day. So if that's where it came from. It's just it's like, oh my God, dinner again. <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear you say that as somebody who, you know, I can see how you, you can pull a meal out of your arse pocket and just like, whoo, there it is. And I'm like, I just thought that it was just the likes of me who'd wake up every morning going, oh my God, can we just like inject the nutrients somehow and move on? How many times would you say that you frequently try a recipe before it makes it in the book? It depends. Sometimes I'll hit it out of the park on the first try. Sometimes it takes three times and sometimes I'll make it and I'll think it's good, but then I want someone else to make it just to make sure that I'm not like biased. Um, like I'm working on another baked item, <laughs> which is Ooh, hot, really news. hot news, everybody. Today, I mean, I'm really just letting you guys in on some hot goss, um, but I'm working on an olive oil uh, ricotta zucchini snacking cake and I made it over the weekend and it was it was good but it wasn't it was not quite there yet so i gotta make it again this weekend love it see she's such a perfectionist this is why i love it everything is always exquisite when you're done with it it's exquisite i want to ask i know we're running out of time but i guess one question i have about your creative process is because i know that cooking is such a creative process and you're um and then but you also have this writing side that's a very creative do they do you think they're sort of how do they work together do they feed off each other is there a connection i think between like your creativity in writing and your creativity in cooking that's a really great question um i think that (laughs) i think the essays in this past book were very much in my conversational voice. And I'm, I love those. I love those essays. I was like, this is right. This feels good. But then I did write a short story last summer, uh, my first one, and it was definitely different than the voice that I used writing these essays, even though it was, you know, short stories. Generally, if you're writing fiction, it's there's always a tie to yourself. Like, let's, you know, yeah, who we can get in here. Who we can. Um, but I was able to write from a different place. But I do think it it all works together in some weird way. I don't think I probably answered your question right, but um, I have different, I feel like I have different voices for different uh, projects. Yeah, and that's fair. I have different voices yeah. for different conversations, frankly, sometimes, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to have another conversation after this one that's gonna be completely different. Oh my gosh, <laughs> well, I, I'm conscious of the time. I see that it's like almost time for you to go and do your other important business, so. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, look, when you live in Bob Hope's house, you just need to have a little bit of ego. Oh, my God. It's going to get out that I live in Bob Hope's house. And people are like, wait, what? 
Yeah, it's good. It's fun. We got to manufacture. It sounds very like bucolic and lovely there. So let let me manufacture (laughs) a little drama for you. And you have your writing nook, which I'm excited to think about. Sometimes I'm excited to think of like what will come out of that space. And I also love that there was a letter under the floor. So somebody was writing there, you know, in some way there there are words in the floor and in the walls and you are absorbing all of that for your project so I also like that a friend did that for you and it's like a nice little lesson of if you have a writer in your life and you love them what a nice thing to try to help them carve out a little space for themselves it's such a lovely act of 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 kindness and as you're showing it doesn't have to be like not everybody can have you know a whole room or a whole whatever but like even if you find a nook or somewhere where you go and you can be creative that's that's pretty neat I feel very lucky. Yay. Well, I realize I'm not the one who's supposed to do the wrap up here. Thank you again to Kalu Henry for joining us. <laughs> her website is kaluhenry.com. You can find her on Instagram at Kalu Henry and find her weekly companion newsletter, Kalu Cooks, at kaluhenry.substack.com. Obviously, you want that. We already talked about how hot it is. That's it for We Can't Print This for today. See more info about our episodes, including transcripts and links to things we talked about at WeCan'tPrintThis.com. Check our Instagram stories um, and sign up for our newsletter. And then we'll link to Kalu's newsletter and we'll get into an infinity loop of linking. It'll be amazing. And you'll never have to go anywhere else. Never Um, go anywhere else. Well, and thank you also to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. A reminder that we are just two independent journalists trying to support writers in writing because we love it. So feel free to support us too via our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash we can print this. And a big final thanks to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie, for taking the corner desk. We really appreciated that. It's not a good desk. It's not a good desk. Um, if you were a writer with a great pain in the story, story write to us so we can print this at gmail.com.